This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. If you like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi, and today we're going to have some mind-blowing conversations with Stefan Waits. He's currently the founder and CEO of Simple 5D. Stefan's career has 30 years of construction management. He actually is aware of the driving forces behind what it takes to do a successful project. People, processes, and performance. He gets a client's want, time, money, and quality. He understands technology. He takes BIM technology, his manufacturing career. He's taken both of them, put them together. He's found ways to really reduce costs, create friction-free projects, and really make it so that our industry does change. It's not just a bunch of fish in a fishbowl. He holds multiple degrees from multiple colleges. I'm excited to have him on the show. Everybody, let's have a big warm welcome for Stefan Waits. Stefan, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on today. As always, our conversations really do get robust. There's lots of thoughts. Uh, audience members, stick around for this one because I promise you with Stefan, we will go down some paths that will uh, really spur on some thought uh, for you today. So I'm excited. But before we get started, Stefan, I'd like, like you to just do a little bit about your background, just so the audience gets to know you, kind of where you live, and uh, just get to kind of plant us here in the conversation a little bit. Anthony, and thank you for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure to be here. So my name is Stefan Waite. I'm the CEO for Simplify D Systems Incorporated. The company is based out of Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. And um, the core of the company, its focus is really on, on, you know, harnessing technology for the construction industry for solving problems before they actually happen on the site. So our goal is a combination of both software and services Essentially, what we're trying to do is build digital twins of projects before they actually get realized in, in reality. And from there, we can drive reporting and visibility and transparency on the project so that people can make better decisions and plan better in advance of actually showing up on site. I found in my career, my background is civil engineering. I graduated from the University of Toronto. Most of my, the 90s, I graduated in 1990. Most of my 90s were spent in the in the management of construction projects, lots of high-profile projects. I spent most of my time in, in the 90s in Europe in all various complications of projects from multi-residential to bridges, tunnels, and uh, electron accelerators. And when I came back to North America, interestingly enough, I felt I had actually missed the dot-com explosion. I got back to Vancouver in November of uh, 1998. And um, this internet thing, which was still visible in, in Europe at the time, but certainly not as prevalent. Ironically, the Europeans were behind in the way of adoption of the internet and sort of explosion of uh, the economic uses of the internet. And then I got into, um, I wanted to have part of that. I got into internet payment systems. And then we started a project where we invented a keyboard for Palm Pilots, so a folding keyboard, um, 
we, we did all the industrial design here and microelectronics design in Vancouver. I was the lead, a technical lead on that whole project. You know, some, manufacturing something like that in North America is at a high cost. So we ended up um, traveling Japan and Taiwan and focused on a tier two keyboard manufacturer in Taiwan who introduced us then to mass manufacturing in China. It was a wild ride, probably one of the best experiences of my life. So I was bringing the construction industry from, from physical buildings and swinging hammers to um, then assembling parts for a keyboard, which then morphed into making money, going back to the construction industry. And then, um, but I had sniffed the the essence of what it would be to be a, a business owner. And so after my children had grown to, uh, well, the, the youngest one was probably two years old, so stable and taken care of at home, I started another business where I got into manufacturing of cladding systems for the construction industry. I would say that's where the most challenging events happened in my life. Um, the keyboard was probably the most, like, the most passionate, the most, like, the, the like, lot of joy coming out of that because it was high tech meets meets construction engineer and then the cladding was more applying well it was applying advanced cutting technologies and manufacturing technologies but then how did you how do you meet that with the two-dimensional world right the construction is, was typically two-dimensional pdf that's the drawing that's the medium of communication that you would find in the construction industry and i found that the biggest problem was actually the design of the buildings and the what they would call the coordinated design of, of, a, of a building. And then you're cutting things to a, a tolerance of a 16th of an inch, trying to make sense, trying to make a silk purse basically out of a sow's ear. And that's how I moved into three-dimensional technologies because I felt that the essence of making money in manufacturing was to be able to have the data points necessary to be able to go from a digital object to a physical product on a truck delivered to a construction site and then installed so that that was sort of the birthplace of simple 5d after i sold the company called redleaf i am um, i'm not a person that sits around and stares at my navel for too long so two, two to three months after i had sold redleaf i, I um, uh, began simple 5d so that was at the end of 2019 and a year and a half later, here we are. Talking about with, you know, creative folks that the more we're allowed to do, the more the space that we create that allows for the creativity to explore itself. And as ideas come, you know, certainly BIM technology, that thought, uh, you know, has really changed the construction industry. The spatial analysis, the way that we look at things, the way that uh, uh, 3D modeling comes into play. And I think you're right on with, you know, construction materials, you know, being delivered to a job site that are already cut to fit uh, within an eighth of an inch or even 16th of an inch tolerances, uh, you know, so that uh, the labor shortage that we're experiencing today uh, gets lessened by, you know, the stuff that we can do in a factory by machinery or by robotics. And you're, and you're seeing that happen throughout our industry. You know, uh, it sounds like you were, you guys really were on the cutting edge of, of that, uh, that revolution with, with siding materials that, uh, uh, that, that could do that. There's no disputing that BIM is uh, here to stay, and it is a it is a significant part of what we're doing, at least conceptually. But I would also argue that there's still a resistance to this change in the construction industry. 
as much as you and I, as business owners, would like to see this happen, because actually um, BIM and 3D and, and databases provide us more control, more insight, more uh, key performance indicators, more dashboarding, more transparency of what's going on. As a business owner, one of your greatest fears is trying to understand what are people doing, the more people that you have, or what are they up to? Um, you have less and less time in the day to actually put thought to any action. The decisions you need to make, they need to be effective. And generally, you hope to have, uh, that they're the right ones. And so data is really the key to, to, to fuel the ability to make decisions. But you'll find that in practice, I still see a lot of resistance to adopting 3D technologies because it's, it's a different mindset. The average engineer, site manager who's gone to uh, college for a two or four year degree, who's maybe spent some time as a superintendent, who's, um, who these days, unfortunately, doesn't have a lot of vocational skills. Like your average, your average project manager does not know how to swing a hammer. It's horrifying to think, but it is true. A lot of them are not even construction savvy, right? They're, they're just understanding schedules and communication and that gap has to get bridged somewhere, right? As AI technologies come into play, uh, you know, we were working with a group uh, a couple weeks ago where uh, you're wearing uh, these VR glasses as you walk through high-rise buildings, being able to see specifications, the locations and, and materials and it, it will identify them, you know, that AI technology. So you can see that really bridging the gap right now where uh, you've got a site manager who's not really the construction expert, but more of a you know, process expert, understanding the people and how the people are affecting the process and making those adaptions for uh, the schedules that come out. Those efficiencies continue to change as we, you know, the business itself, I, I believe right now is on this verge of very similar to AI. You know, AI takes an idea and splits it up into multiple ideas and it is in a, in a multiple function as it works on multiple different assets of it, facets of it, and brings it together in a much quicker fashion. But I believe our industry is going through that right now. You've got across every group I talk to, I mean, there is not a group that I, I, that I spend time with that is not working on speed to market and working on smarter ideas, uh, energy efficiencies, uh, across all of the boards. Now, they all may be siloed, right? I, to your point, they're all maybe little tiny silos and, and, and not everybody gets them, but they're working on it, right? Over here, they've got a software tool that worked on site uh, on dirt. You know, with, with a group uh, a few weeks ago that, that they created an app that takes uh, dirt off of one site and brings it to another site. Right? Like literally, just like the Uber of dirt. Right, so you, you're, you're taking, instead of it going from your site to a landfill, uh, landfill back to a site, it goes from site to site. You need uh, 15 truckloads of dirt, great. Uh, I need 15, I need to get rid of 15 truckloads of dirt, great. And now we marry the two and one goes from the other one. It makes it a lot more efficient, energy efficient, cost efficient. Uh, all, so that's you know one tool that's getting worked on right now. That group is hard at work over there. You got another group working on the VR glasses. You know, you, you got another group that are working on, on uh, different platforms for 3D modeling. And my belief is, as those little technologies are being worked out separately, they'll start to absorb each other and converge, right? And as they converge, we'll start to see, you know, simplification of the process and, and better adoption rates. Because right now, you're right. I mean, you, you watch 
individuals that have been doing it one way. The biggest problem with the, with, with, with change is the adoption rate of a, of a new idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing all kinds of challenges, well, interesting challenges, like it's exciting, right? Um, so um, maybe challenge is not the right word, but what I see as some of the difficulties, the integration, it's finding the people that actually uh, understand all aspects to be able to integrate. But there's one thing that I find really cool that you didn't mention too, is like a layout robot, like the dusty robot, can go onto a concrete slab and can draw out the lines uh, for the steel stud, like how brilliant is that? How much head scratching has gone on in the last century of, for for layout, uh, dropping plumb bobs from the ceiling, which was always when I when I when I grew up in the industry as a as, you know, being a kid, you're like, why are we starting from the ceiling going down? Well, that's because we need to have a a plumb wall, right? Uh, but in essence, the riser comes from the from the from the floor up, so it's. Um, it's using all these technologies to integrate to make us better. At the same time, that's gonna that's gonna probably mean that there's a consolidation of the amount of decision makers that you would typically see on a on a project, which is probably good because that's where also some of the disputes happen, and um, and it empowers the guy that actually is really the essence of a construction site, which is the superintendent, right? So he, the superintendent, is a vocational person that has grown up growing up as a carpenter, possibly went to university, studying engineering, um, but has a very good technical insight and is very highly motivated for, you know, technical achievements within a construction site. So but even that point, I, I, think, I think he's the guy on the job site that can paint the picture, right? He's the, he's the, the person on the job site that says, this is why we're doing it. You know, everybody else shows up to do the job, where I do it, how I do it, what part do I start on first? There's someone's got to make the call. And to date, you've got a superintendent who can go out there and paint that picture. Now, some do it better than others, right? Some do it before you get there, they paint the picture. So so Bob and Betty and, 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 and Bruce show up with the right tools and the right equipment. Some do it when you get there and they kind of help you work it out the day you get there. The, the real, really great ones are the ones that say, Hey Bob and Betty, you guys, uh, you, you don't you don't need to bring your entire truckload of stuff. I need these five things today. You're going to work on this wall. You need a pipe bender, uh, five electrical outlets, and uh, this much electrical wiring. And please bring that to my job site. Be there at 7 a.m. and I'll have you a, a wall exposed, ready to go uh, from uh, 7:35 till 9:45. You guys will put you know, you do your work. You know, as that as the superintendent is able to see that site picture better. Those are the ones that have always been successful. But I call them cowboys. You're out there and every once in a while you get a hold of a good cowboy and they're out there gunfighting for you, but great. And as soon as you try to replicate that gunfighter, it's it's not a, the, that's where the business gets plagued. I, I spend a lot of time trying to replicate that, that, that individual, that gunfighter. And the situations change, the, the gunfighter gets shot. I lose that gunfighter and the rest of the system becomes invaluable. Yeah, that's an interesting analogy. I've never even looked at it that way. What a metaphor. The gunfighter gets shot. I lose my, my business, or at least on that project, my business starts to unravel. And um, so interesting that the planning is, is key, maximizing people's productivity. And let's say, I guess, as we move into AI and machinery and, and intelligent machinery and internet of things, we're moving into 
the efficient use of equipment on, on job sites. So the scheduling is very important. So what I love about not just the 3D BIM, it's using BIM also for scheduling, which you call 4D. So you're mapping Gantt charts and the schedule logic together with the BIM model. And what a fantastic tool for superintendents or project managers and also other business owners like the, the uh, subcontractors to be able to visualize and to be able to communicate to their team about where we need to be on a given day in a given week of a given year. So I think that companies like Bentley Systems 4D Synchro Pro um, is a huge tool that's going to see a lot of uptake. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's an expensive piece of software, but the the, it's actually not that expensive when you take a look at, at what you can do with it. And then they have these three different tiers of licensing. But to have that, you know, you talked about VR. Well, with, with Synchro, you can use, you can have your Gantt chart up top and you can have your uh, 3D model right there in front of you. You can rotate, you can, you can basically drag with your mouse where you want to be, let's say, in November of 2021. Where does the project have to be? That's the milestones we need to hit. And then you can, and then you can basically, it's like pull scheduling. You can, you can essentially then determine where you need to be tomorrow in order to hit that date in November, 2021. What do we need to have on site? And, and then tie that to material quantities, tie that to dollars, right? Like the finance of a project. It's amazing then the clarity that BIM actually provides. Like the BIM is really the core of the data because that's what it is. BIM is BIM is building information modeling, but it's really a database, right? And it just has some graphic interface attached to that. Now it's complicated to set up. There's no question people need specialized training. Most people get to break that barrier because you're right. Right now, BIM is a barrier that's tough to break. I mean, there, there's the BIM technology, but then overlaying that into the architectural models, uh, overlaying that into the product model of availability, overlaying that into you know. It's great. I can measure the space, but now I need to be able to get the space, be able to fit this table, be able to fit uh, this laptop, be able to fit that window behind me. Uh, getting those parts and pieces, uh, you know, becomes the, the that next phase. So getting the measurements are great. Now be able to get the measurements and getting those adapted to that space. Even when the speed changes, right? If, if we're able to in in design development pick from uh, available resources that'll be in a timely fashion to meet the project schedule and pricing. That's where the ultimate goal is, right? I mean, if, if you're, if you're able to get, take most frustrating part of our business is this, you design it. I got to go price it. It's never right. Uh, then I get to take your design. I, you know, we, we work with a brand that sells lots of coffee uh, that has a, has a, a siren on the front of their emblem. I don't know what that brand is, but we'll talk about that later. And they have these amazing designers. I mean, they make, they make the most beautiful coffee shops in the world. And I would tell you that 80% of the projects that we do, their design never gets fully executed because they designed it in a vacuum. Months later, by the time it goes through design, uh, uh, permitting, uh, budget approval, final budget approval, final budget operational approval, all the stuff that's go through from design to time we start construction, product availability, all stuff changes. And now I take someone's amazing design, the creator's design, the, you know, whoever that creative person was, and now we take that, that design and we have to bastardize it. Well, look, we can't get that tile. I know that's the that tile is a tile you really wanted for the backsplash, but now I got to get this tile. It's closed, but it's not. And the designers look at you like, man, I really that was the 
That was a backbone of my design. Right? Oh, I can't get that chair. Well, we can get you this chair. And maybe, maybe not, it works. But, but ultimately, I always feel like, isn't that a shame? We get these creative folks that do great work. They're artists. Those creative folks are, are artists in their creations. And I'm stuck on the other side, either because of budget, availability, specifications. It doesn't match the area, flame spread, or some, some weird technical problem. That, uh, that would have been great to know that when they were designing. There's no, um, there's, you're, and you've hit on an interesting piece. Well, first of all, art is not worth anything unless we can make money with it. Well, sorry, I take that back. Um, there's beautiful art in this world that's worth a lot of money. But if we're talking about a business, so artists to create a design for a building for the essence of, of commerce, you can have the best looking building in the world if it doesn't function and work. It's, it's not going to support commerce. And there's probably in every major metropolitan area examples of, of really good looking buildings that actually aren't that, uh, that functional. And interestingly enough, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright had, an inter- had a flair for a design that's not very functional. Right? No, no, so, every, every roof you ever built leaks. You know, I, I'm, in, I'm in Frank Lloyd Wright town right here in Oak Park, Illinois, and every single uh, house that he's done leaked somewhere and uh it's kind of funny how he had he had great design but function and uh uh some of the technical stuff wasn't quite as efficient yeah so i think that this tie and this opportunity that also exists is the actual interrelatedness of products uh performance specifications the easy access to it. so so like you go to a company like Amazon, you, you, you look up a product and you get moderately, uh, a moderate amount of information around the, the performance specifications or at least the specifications of a product. And you don't really have that yet in the building industry. It's coming, for sure it's coming. And that was one of the essences of why we created Simplified D2 because we brought up before pricing and budget. Again, this wonderful design, this wonderful piece of art that you guys have come up, what's the cost? Well, sorry, sir, I don't know. Um, that's up for the cost engineer or the, the uh, quantity surveyor to figure out. Well, I don't want to talk to the quantity surveyor. I want to talk to the designer. You guys should have a sense of what the cost is because if it doesn't make budgetary sense, it's not going to happen. So you just wasted three months of design. What's the cost? I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know. And, and so then what happens is that we get stuck using the same materials. Well, here's my underground structure system. All right, great. I, I get stuck using that same, and I'm looking at it, you know, going, great. That was great on, on project in Florida, but now we're in Alabama and those products are available, but they keep specking those products in. Now my cost of transfer. And by the way, we could do a much different system. On this site, we have plenty of site available, we can put ponds in, you know, all kinds of other availabilities that happen on, on site work, but the architectural and engineering team get locked into one way of thinking. And that one way of thinking ends up taking our, taking our, our, our customer, spending lots and lots of money where it may or may not be needed, and uh, ultimately affects the long-term viability of the organization that's building the product, build, building what they're building. And now we're, uh, you know, we're, we're stuck telling the customer, hey, your project's not viable because your, your, your budget's out of whack. You touched on an interesting sore spot, I guess maybe, or let's say a, a place that hasn't really evolved yet from a technology perspective, and that's the customer of the design services, so ultimately developer of the building. So what, whether that's an ongoing business, right, then 
who wants a warehouse or a manufacturing facility or a Starbucks and wants a coffee shop or uh, Chick-fil-A wants a drive-through. You're, there's huge gaps in, in the building development industry. For There's not a lot of Steve Jobs of the building and development in- industry, ones that are passionately focused on every piece and f- the th- follow through and the thread of the actual finished product and how that's going to contribute to mankind in the way of, um, of the design and the functionality of the building. I find that, uh, let's take multi-residential, for instance, because, I mean, obviously I have to sell the services of my company too. And I find that there is an, an unwillingness to, to really go through all the aspects of construction and project, project realization. It's like, well, we're a developer. We buy the land and then we market the finished product. What happens in between? As long as it's uh, as long as we make the profit in the end that we targeted from the beginning, we don't really care. And I say to them, but you could save three, four million dollars on a hundred million dollar development. Um, yeah, we have our processes, you know, and as long as we make our lift of uh, of ten to fifteen million dollars on a hundred million dollar job site. We're not really, we're not really too bothered. We'll let the general contractor deal with that. And well, what if the building doesn't work? Like, what if it, what if it could work better? What if you can make money on the building after it's actually being realized? Like, what if you can, like, let's take dishwashers for instance, right? So let's say multi-residential. You've got a 150-unit high-rise building, 40 stories tall, right? So what's the life expectancy these days of a dishwasher? Let's say 10 years. Well, I would say that's actually you'd be you'd be you'd be you'd be uh, I would say seven is probably the is what I'd say seven. Yeah, and I say like I have friends that say, oh, I have a repairman coming by. So don't even let the repairman come into the into the house. Just just throw that dishwasher out and replace your dishwasher. Why isn't the building developer making money a lift on every piece of product that's getting replaced within a building? You know, you, um, it's like the warranty of a building and insurance companies too, right? I mean, water leakage. So why shouldn't now we have a whole system throughout the life cycle of the building where actually somebody who actually originated the building is making money from that. And then what about you have a store? You can actually have a store in each building that the developer can make money up, but it's so much data, so much, so much you really need passion to put it all together. You know, artificial intelligence, data management, um, and people just lose well, I mean, momentum and energy. Every one of us entrepreneurs, here, the ideas won't stop coming. The, the, the amount of energy it takes to go execute on that idea, that's always the hard part, right? I mean, you're, you're, look, you can look at a building and go, look, there's all these opportunities. Now, the first thing I think about at, at my age now is, have the energy to go do half of them, right? I've, I've done my share of startup companies. I've done my 80-hour weeks. I'm, I still do 80-hour weeks. I, I still, I, I don't know how many, how, how long I want to sustain that for. So the thought of, you know, getting better data faster, so I can start to pick and choose how I can do that and mitigate some of the startup uh, time and exposure, cost and exposure, you know, being able to mitigate some of that going, all right, look, if I want to do a dishwasher repair system uh, in this building, great. Here, I, I have a facility man who will do, or facility woman who can do uh, dishwashers, ironing boards, 
and uh, uh, and fix all the track lights in the building, right? We will have we'll have that now. That you know, uh, what does it take for me to put that that crew together? Uh, what, what's what's my projected income going to be for the team? Uh, how, how will all that uh, uh, play out? You know, anything I can do to find better data so I can mitigate some of that uh, exposure uh, makes my, the likelihood of that happening a little bit faster. Now, I say the other side of that becomes true. What about understanding, you know, in BIM technology, as we look at the buildings themselves and figuring out why not have a why not have a dishwasher that lasts forever, right? What, what's the part that breaks down in this dishwasher every single time? Uh, you know, uh, I'm looking at Tesla nowadays. They're saying, "Hey, these cars can go a million miles, right? We're building these to be a million mile vehicle." I mean, Ford wasn't thinking that way. Well, I'm sure that Elon Musk would tell you, yeah, the car can do a million miles, right? The motors and the uh, axles can turn a million miles and the frame, the body can stay together for the million miles. But the one thing that's going to have to get, keep getting replaced is one is the battery and two, the CPU, right? Because we keep advancing what we're doing. I mean, that's the, that's one of the beauties of Tesla's is that they do software updates while you sleep and they can actually influence the performance of the vehicles while you sleep. But at what point, just like your iPhone, at what point does that CPU become outdated and has to be uh, changed? So what's the failure of most dishwashers? It's the CPU. PCB board is kind of what they what they call it, right? Uh, the, the, the circuit board that holds all the circuitry together. That's what, typically what fails. So if you could actually, just like you have a toner cartridge in your printer, if you could just basically pull this the uh, board out, replace it with a new board, and you could actually mail order that, and the homeowner could put that in. That would be that would be that would be huge. But then you're going to be putting manufacturers out of business. But we would be then addressing sustainability in this world. But I think that that's the part that's always every time someone says to me, "You're going to put somebody out of business," I go, "Your business didn't belong here." Right? Every single time you say to me, "You're going to lose a job," great, your job doesn't belong here. The sake of keeping a job by holding us back in ideas. It seems like the uh, that, that's that resistance piece that people you know that are, that are why we don't evolve, why life isn't getting easier quicker is because we're all worried that you know there's all this big underlying worry that oh my god if robots take over construction what will I do? Well maybe you'll do the job you maybe you know the job you actually like doing because the job you're doing wasn't very efficient you weren't really great at it you're uh, you know, we've, we've found a much more efficient model to make that work. And now we can go do, you know, other, you know, at one point we answered phones like this. There was a, a switchboard operator who plugged cords into a switchboard and made that work. And then we had bell phones where we had a little rotary dial. Today, I think my mother's maybe a handful of people that have still have a house phone. And uh, I think she just stubborn. She's not going to let go of that number. And everybody has cell phones and all those bell people, all those operators found careers that worked. It may be that I evolve on my rides to work, right? Uh, you know, in the future, when I, when I take my robo taxi from Tesla and on my way in, they teach me how to operate the latest and greatest uh, piece of equipment uh, that they've invented uh, for my job site. I'll learn on my way to or from, from the office or from the job site. Uh, maybe I get a briefing on today's on today's job site, what I'll be doing, who I'll be working with, maybe a little background history of them so we can socialize a little bit better. But that evolution 
holding it back because of our fear of losing jobs just seems so primitive. Probably what drives humanity though, right? The fear of the fear of survival. When I was going through my 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 forties, you know, uh, where you go from well, your midlife crisis, where you buy fast cars, Mustangs, and and uh, Porsches, and and that sort of stuff. You know, one person, uh, one coach that I was working with said, "Until you are willing to live under a bridge, you are going to be at the effect of your ego." So it's not saying you will live under the bridge. The key, key word is here, the willingness. So what do you have to lose once you're living under the bridge? Nothing, right? So our, we are so caught up, our humanity, our human condition is so caught up in fear. We live in fear of losing. So I think as technology gains, we have to, there's a, you know, I don't think you're going to be, we're going to have a, a community or a country of uh, everyone earning $200,000 doing high-tech jobs. Uh, because we've got robotics, robots in construction. I think that construction workers, there should no longer be a career in construction. I think a, a, a vocational tradesman should be a stepping stone to advancing their careers because you're, you're, you're developing skills. And if, you, if you're from the age of 18 to 32, if you're working on a construction site as an electrician, plumber, framer, concrete worker, whatever, you're all learning how to work with your hands. But in this day and age where we're living to probably possibly 100, maybe even 120, for the person who's 18 years old right now, you're going to go through five, six, maybe even eight career changes. Well, it probably would be great for you if you had the coordination to be able to work with your hands, let alone your brain. It's just going to, it's just going to feed. It will make you be able to better survive in this world. Who knows where, what, what, what you need to survive with. But I also think there's a mentality there and a psychology that we have to let go of. What does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be achieving and what does wealth and what does abundance mean that I want to surround myself with? There's certainly driven people, entrepreneurs that are driven to create things and make meaning in this world and they'll be rewarded for that. But there's a lot of this world that is also doesn't want to be bothered with that. They just want to, they have smaller ambitions, right? So I've often said that uh, the world is on this pen, right? If you're looking at this pen that I'm holding up, the entire world is on this pen, but nowhere on the pen is wrong, right? People get caught up in that. I want to be on a certain spot in the pen. Now look on the front of the pen where the tip is, that, that's where the very creative are. That's where the, the artists, the entrepreneur, the very creative folks are. There, and as you, as you move back from the pen, there's people who like to be around those folks who like to help implement very creative ideas, love to be around that energy, but they're not that creative a good person. And then as you move further back, there's people who run systems for the, for the pen. And without that, that wouldn't, the tip wouldn't hold on to the pen. And as you move further back, you've got uh, people that do more static positions. And as you get to the back of the pen, you have things like you know, security guards and stable positions. Without them, the pen wouldn't work. Right, and the problem is, is that when I think that I'm a security guard in the back, I'm like, oh my God, that guy in the tip, that, that I want to be like them. I go out there, I try that, and you, you try to do that, act that way, and all of a sudden you start realizing, oh my God, this is insane. This is not my style of living. You know, I, I never know where my keys are. I never know, I wake up in the morning, I have road rash. This is not the kind of life I want to live. And then the, the guy on the, on the tip goes, you know, maybe I want to be more like the person in the back. I want to be the person in the back of the pen where I, where I get to have uh, you know, more stability. And they go back there and they fall asleep in life. You know, 
you start to find your natural essence. And what that is, each one of us is different. And, it, it, you know, I think that's part of the discovery of the human is as I go on my journey, and, and maybe I change different spots on that pen throughout my life. Uh, there are times where I certainly feel, you know, my creativity and I embrace that. You know, I think I was told a bad bill of goods as a kid and it said somewhere I would work really, really hard and then I'd get to a spot where I would do nothing. Like retirement involved doing nothing. Like somehow I'd be put out to pasture, I would just graze until I died. And, you know, I certainly watch men do that. You know, great entrepreneurs, great leaders of industry, great creative people, and they've just lost their soul. My dad was one of those guys. My dad was one of those guys who, you know, he loved being, he was an inventor, right? He worked with Pat Whitney. He made hundreds of, uh, lots and lots of patents, uh, uh, lots and lots of different patents. And he was very creative. And then when they, they forced him into retirement, you could almost see the light turn off inside of him. And I don't know that uh, that bill of goods, which says, I'm going to go out to pasture after being this great thoroughbred, uh, will be necessarily the bill of goods that's, that was a proper one to sell them to us. So, as, you know, as we evolve and we continue to get enlightened, you know, we, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, the entrepreneur. I, I get a hard time from people when people ask me, what, what's your company goal? Well, our first, our first one is to break this $100 million mark. People are like, well, you can't have a financial goal. as That's not going to be, you're not going to, uh, you can't, that's not, uh, tangible. People can't get emotion around that. I go, malarkey. I go, you, you can't, you need some way of measuring the success of the business. That doesn't mean the success of the people. The people that run that, who you have to become to run the company, the people, the systems you have to put to operate it, the people that we interact with, that's the true success. success. You know, it, for me, uh, as an entrepreneur, it wasn't about going out there and just making, maybe at first it was, it was about the money. Right. And then I got to making money. And I'm like, all right. So I made a lot of money. Maybe it's, it's becomes empty, meaningless. You start realizing, yeah, it's kind of empty, meaningless. Somewhere I want to advance and become, I start realizing, look at all these people that, that, work, that work really hard to create this. Maybe my life could be about them and what I could do to move, touch, inspire the people that, that work with me. Right. How do I turn on? How, how can I be a light that turns on their light? You know, my wife is Greek. And um, we go to Greek Easter in the church in their Greek church, and it's awesome, right? The the priest walks in, the church is dark, and he brings a candle with him, and he starts at the front of the church, and he lights the first row, and then they light the second row, and then they light the third row, and as you sit there, you watch the church light up, and I often wonder where we as a community forget to do that. How do we light each other's light rather than blow them out? Right, I think there's been a certain part of our, our past where people, instead of burning bright uh, with others, would rather blow out someone's candle so they're dark with them. And uh, I wonder where that battle comes from, and you know, and how how you know, you start to realize I, I don't I don't know if we need to do that. So that was a, that was a lot of uh, information there, and I agree yeah. with everything that you say. Um, but I would like to just kind of add my two cents in there too. It's like. Part of life is also being an individual. It's to individuate. You need to find your own path. And part of that actually is to sit in darkness for a while. I actually have the saying that failure trumps success because it's through failure that we learn. 
And, but we can't learn if we don't see our condition and part of its marketing and part of the messaging that's around us, you're, you're deemed, well, you're deemed a nobody if you fail. Well, how short lived is failure? Failure, I mean, you measure in time. People have this false sense of time, false sense of deadlines. I say that as an entrepreneur, I learn the most when we fail. And that um, success is a byproduct of a combination of, of ideas, uh, just getting rolling up your sleeves and hard work and getting in there, but also stumble and falling and picking yourself and being able to pick yourself up because probably, I, I, I mean, I don't know you for your, for your history, life history and your career, but I'm sure if you look back, there's probably uh, a number of times when you could say that you failed and there might've been an incremental failure, but it definitely prepared you for the next step of your life and the next step of whatever you were doing as an entrepreneur. Right. So invite the failure. You're sitting there in pain. I don't know how much of that I want to invite, but for sure I've learned more from the, the things that have gone wrong rather than the things that have gone right. Uh, you're right. Yes. There's, there's a, a, a motivating factor to that pain. <laughs> so you talk about lighting somebody's candle, right? I don't know if I would be lighting somebody's candle. I'd be showing them where the match was and where to possibly strike that match. But they're on their own to light their own candle because if I light the candle for them, they're probably going to walk out the front door and forget that the wind actually will blow up the candle again. And then they're going to be helpless, right? So yeah. as a business leader, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I, I, I give guidance, but I don't... Uh, the, the worst... You talk about retirement and, and putting out the pasture, the worst thing you can do for your employees or the people, let's say... The people in your team, you have employees, you have subconsultants, you have other people, you contractors. The worst thing you can do is show them every step of the way because the life and business is so dynamic that there's every week there's going to be incremental changes. I mean, the, the life of a startup, it's so funny. It really changes from week to week, right? Like it's it's like, why bother writing a business plan? Hour to hour sometimes. I mean, like literally I, I, I watch... You know, AM, PM changes that happen in, in groups, you know, as we develop, you know, a, a new a new project, a new customer, a new a new model, you know, uh, uh, you know we've had customers walk in and go, we're going to take up, we, we, you know, we're going to change your entire plan or, or, or one that started with a little bit of a flash, all of a sudden turned into a ma massive fire, uh, something that turned out to be really awesome. You know, places where we had, you know, we start to unravel it and all of a sudden the whole sweater came. Like, oh, it was just a little string at first. Then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, look at this. Whoa, what's going on? Right, all of a sudden, we're doing hundreds of projects for, for a group. And, uh, uh, you know, then you start learning how to get way more efficient. And a lot of that happens, you know, you couldn't plan for it. You couldn't, you just got to be ready, be, stay, stay uh, conscious enough that in the moment to be able to take advantage of that opportunity, right? So that as it, as it unfolds, you're able to sit there and go, let's go. Right. All right. Great. Let's try that. Don't run from it. Embrace it. So you bring up very good points. Being conscious, being aware, uh, being in the moment and embracing it no matter what's coming up and looking, not expecting for the answer to come right now in the next very next minute. You know, being allowing some time to gestate on, on whatever the occurrence is. And for instance, like our business, Simple 5D right now has gone through the last four months has gone through a period of commoditization right 
Um, and you'll know this, it's like globalism. There's a lot of intelligent people in India who are getting into three-dimensional technologies and who are into uh, getting educated and fairly sophisticated. And there's an unlimited amount of resources in India. So with t- today's world, they can work after five o'clock when your pencil drops, they can work all night and they're getting really good at this. And they're starting to learn how to market themselves to uh, firms within North America for what it is they do. So we could react and point the finger and say, boohoo, globalism and the government should protect us. And, and uh, or we go, well, what's the niche we can create out of what we're doing? Well, I guess we're going to have to vertically integrate some more. So we can bring not just some tangible components to what it is we do. So it's constantly changing, constantly dynamic, but you have to be conscious, you have to be aware, and you have to get out of your own way to allow things to evolve and things to and solutions to, to come. You have to invite the chaos, but you have to be navigating along the borders of order, right? And, and um, so that's, when you see that, then... The word retirement doesn't even really, it doesn't even come up for me. In fact, look, coronavirus was an interesting time because we all got hit with this, even you probably. I mean, I don't even have to ask you questions about that, but I'm sure March 15th of 2020, you probably looked at everybody in the room and what's happening now? We don't know. We don't know what's happening. We're going to have to just go on on quiet. We're going to have to go on pause for a month. Right. And if that's what retirement's like, I don't want it. After, you know, at first, I got caught up in the fear. Right. Yeah. I, and I'm going to tell you, fear is like cocaine. I mean, people yeah. were like, like, oh, let's go watch a little Fox News. They're like, oh, sitting over there taking hits of Fox News. Let's go get some CNN. <laughs> oh, BBC. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's fine. And they were all just getting out here. And my wife would laugh at me. She'd go, you just took a hit of, of CNN. I'd come, you know, I'd, I'd go over to the house and I'd. I, I, I watch TV for a little bit and literally I could just feel my whole system get into that. Right. And it's, a, it's literally a check, check me out. And then finally I realized, stop, stop, do what you do, get back in your office and do what you do. Get your people's minds right. Help keep your people out of the drama triangle, get out of that triangle and start working on block, tackle, block, tackle, block, tackle. Get people present to where they are. Get out of the moment. You know, a lot of companies crawled up like in a fetal position and sat on the ground and go, "Oh my God, it's good." I'm like, "No, stop that. We want to be here afterwards." And how we're going to be here is we're going to we're going to do everything we can do all day long to keep moving our model forward. And the truth was, it got me out of all that fear. It made me responsible and gave me, it gave me control of what was happening to my life rather than being controlled by the fear that, that was over, overwhelming me. And, you know, it crept in every once in a while, for sure, right? Oh, my God, what's this going to mean? Uh, I won't be able to live the way it was. But what I knew was it wasn't going to be as bad as I was making it out to be. You know, at first I was like, well, if this is only six weeks, no big deal. You know, and I thought if it's six months, it's going to be tougher. If it's going to be a year, there's no way we're all going to die. You know, it's all the whole country's going to fall apart. <laughs> you know, I, I went and bought a gun. Yeah, you know, that first month I bought a gun. I, I never had a gun. And I, in my entire life, I've never used a gun. And, and, I, and, I, and all of a sudden, fear gripped me. And I'm like, I went out and bought a gun. I'm like, 
<laughs> you know, now they're kind of fun to have. It was some target practice and learn how to do that. It's kind of been fun uh, uh, practicing with one. But once I got out of that fear, got back into doing what we do, uh, you know, it, it, it just changed it. Now we're for the better. Now we've come out of Corona. Uh, the customers we had slowed down. It gave us the ability to go horizontally to more customers, right? We've picked up a whole bunch more customers and we built relationships we wouldn't have had the time for during before Corona. We were so busy, we, we didn't have time to stop and go enjoy those relationships and build more relationships. But now, we, we're, now we've got a team. Yeah, our markers were tough. Yeah, it took us financially, but we invested in, in, in the team of people that we have. The good has stuck around. A lot of people are still uh, waffling from that whole Corona uh, time. There's still, you know, still quite a bit of funk in the air. Uh, we feel out there, but now we're starting to see those first and second rungs of climbing out of the hole. It's it's uh, it's more of a tunnel than a hole. It's going to be interesting to talk to you in a year from now. The uh, the construction industry, the economy in, in itself is, is is probably going to explode. <laughs> I think that your the look coming out of your eyes is. It's going to be even a lot more different in a year from now. But one thing I know from just talking with you is that you're comfortable in the unknown and that you will be uh, able to navigate through that. I'm not sure if the word control is the right thing, but um, you'll have the navigate. ability to yeah. process the information and come up with the solutions. You know, that, part, that part you talked about before where the population is going to, get, is going to live longer. And just that, look, you know, from the time I was born, you know, average male life expectancy was, you know, 65, 67, 67 years old. I think women were 63, where, you know, you know, that evolved. My kids, my kids' kids will be 115. Just that alone right there will double the population on this planet. Right? That's crazy. And just that alone would continue to give uh, opportunities for the construction uh, and develop the world, you know, to, to find new products more efficient uh, properties, you know, that evolution is going to change like cars did to horses, Uber did to taxis, they evolve where it's going to end up. I don't think we can see it standing where we're standing, but you certainly know that it's going to have to happen faster. And in order to just, just to support it, just in the next 30 years where, where our population will double. Um, Actually, do you believe that the population will double? Oh, for sure. will double. I mean, if you well, think the American, the American, the American birth rate is um, dropped below one point seven. Um, they're actually saying now with the with the wealth that's creating being created. I mean, there's there's almost no more poverty in this world, right? People are still able to like. You go to India, so you're of a similar age as I do. Remember in the '80s when they had those horror stories of India and all the poverty in the streets and people not being able to feed themselves. India is now a net exporter of food. Well, I, I still think there's quite a bit of, you know, I'm uh, next week I'm going to Africa, and right. uh, a big part of what I'm doing there in India and Africa, the, the, the charities that we run over in those countries, my wife and I, uh, they're still look, they're emerging markets, uh, they're exporting, oh, yeah. but they're still those are the opportunities. As those people uh, in those countries get Lexus payments, right? And they know what it's like to have a house payment, a Lexus payment, and, you know, to get made. I mean, most of the world still doesn't have refrigerators. You go to India, most of them still do not have refrigerators, right? They're still that's daily true. shopping. That's true. 
But you go to Germany and people still do lots of daily shopping. They actually, they actually, that's part of their community. That's part of their mindset. It's part of the freshness. Like, look at, look at us in North America. We have all these chemicals in our food to keep the food from rotting, right? So, but we also get caught up in these huge ideals of where we want to go. Whereas the average European is more, is, is their focus is around relationships, around the food around the traditions it's the traditions that have actually helped guide us in our evolution so it's funny like not having refrigerators i'm not, not so sure if that's a bad thing it keeps uh, us it keeps i know that's the part that's going to be fun to watch is that yeah what's the, as a pendulum swings you know our pendulum swung way the other way now we got i mean go to, go to my house we have a double door super sized a refrigerator with a with a iPad in the front, and you could I, from my phone. I can hear. I can tell you right now what's in my. I can look up and I can show you a picture of my of what's inside of my refrigerator from my from our meeting here. I mean, right. I don't know. We've we've swung the pendulum. You know, at any given time, I need to know what's like. I need to know what's in my refrigerator. I oh my god! Oh look, look! I got an extra some eggs. You know, the, <laughs> that's what we're talking about before with technology. The, those silos are working on. A lot of those will level out and uh, make a lot of fun. So, you know, look, we've covered a lot of ground. And, you know, Stephanie, you and I have interesting conversations every time we talk. I, uh, I want to continue to have, uh, have you on the show. I'm grateful today. I really am grateful for the, for the conversation that we had today. And uh, I, if, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best place for them to uh, reach out and get you? I'm sure it's as easy as email. Uh, that's Stefan, which is spelled not Stephen, but it's S-T-E-F-F-E-N at simple five, the number five D.com. And that would be my uh, personal email. That's really the best way to get a hold of us and or to get a hold of me. You know, it was a real pleasure talking to you, Anthony. I just wanted to say that uh, just the population of the world, because doubling the population of the world, that's actually a bit of a scary thing. There's actually now theory out there that we are going to, not even reach 10 billion people. Um, I was just listening to the podcast yesterday from and on there that was uh, Jordan Peterson and he had invited Dr. Marion Tuppy who has a lot of empirical evidence on that we are going to hit, probably not exceed 10 billion and then scale back to eight, 8 billion people because of the birth rates, fertility rates are going down because wealth is contributing. There's, there's a lack of need for having six kids, right? I mean, it's uh, people who are not replacing themselves these days. Sorry, that was a little tangent I went on, but uh, oh, no, 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 listen, got it. We'll, we'll we can do a whole other one. I love Jordan. I, he was a part of my morning meditation this morning. Uh, great, great, uh, great, great thinker. You know, uh, Stephen, I'm, I'm grateful for the time, and uh, we will have you on the podcast again here in a very short future. And uh, I'm excited. So, so thanks again for for the time. And uh, we'll catch up with you here soon. It was a real pleasure, Anthony. And and thank you very much to you and your team for having me on your podcast. I enjoyed it very much. I always enjoy talking to you. So I wish you uh, a good part of your day. Cool, sir. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry. Finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share with your friends.